Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, well, as you take a seat and as uh, the kids head back to the Fellowship Hall with Miss Kathy for Kids Church, uh, I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. While you're, while you're turning there, um, you know, there are a few topics in life that you can bring up that will, that will turn any conversation awkward. Okay, so, so for instance, politics, all right? If you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and things are just going too well and you want to interject, um, you know, some, some uncomfortableness into the situation, just bring up politics, right? So, so you know, I mean, like, for instance, you, you could, if you're surrounded by family, you know, the last couple of years, all you got to do is just, just bring up and say, hey, what do you think about that Bernie Sanders guy? And you're going to create some awkwardness, okay? Um, Maybe oftentimes religion, right? So, I mean, you, you know, if, if, you, if you work uh, in an office around some, some non-believers, folks that are maybe particularly uh, non-religious, and you bring up the topic of religion, more than likely there's going to be some sort of uh, awkward glances, awkward silences, right? Um, you know, any host of medical problems you could bring up, um, again, you know, you, if, if you're having too good of a time at the Thanksgiving dinner table, I can give you some suggestions about medical issues to bring up that, that will immediately, like, make things. Or, or you know, if, if you have, um, the, you know, a sweet grandmother who lost her filter when she got older um, and, you know, would have no problem just, you know, telling everyone everything that's going on in her life, um, you know, you can, you can create awkwardness. This morning we're going to talk about a, a topic that's almost guaranteed uh, to, to create an awkward conversation, and that is the topic of hell, okay? Uh, now, I, I have some assumptions that I've made. That is that, I mean, you're gathered here in a Southern Baptist church on a three-day weekend. Um, so, so, number one, uh, congratulations. I believe you are committed to the local church because you're here on a three-day weekend. Some of you had a four-day weekend, and you're still here. Extra kudos to you. Um, get, grab an extra donut on your way out this morning, okay? <laughs> um, so I'm going to make some assumptions that, uh, that, that you're here and you have at least some interest in spiritual things. And, and because you're gathered in a conservative, evangelical, Southern Baptist church, that most of us in this room probably would say, yes, I believe there's a place called hell. Um, now, the question for us this morning is, if we believe that, what do we do because of it? Okay, if, if, if we believe that, yes, there is a place called hell, that is an eternal separation from God, how do we live in light of that? How does that affect the way that we interact with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our classmates, with our friends, with our family? How does that affect the way that we interact with it? Now, now this summer, we've been going, or late spring, we've been going through this series called Who's Your One? It was put out by uh, Pastor J.D. Greer and the North American Mission Board. So I, I don't do prepackaged like sermon stuff very often, but, but this is one that, that they were doing a push a convention-wide to, to do an evangelistic emphasis. And so um, we come this morning in, in this series to this topic of hell, okay? Um, and the simple fact is that as believers, if we're going to be faithful to the Bible, faithful to the biblical message, 
We're going to have to, at some point, talk about hell because the Bible talks about hell. Jesus talks about hell. We're going to look at one of those stories this morning. In fact, did you know that Jesus actually talked more about hell than he did about heaven? Let that sink in for just a second. He actually talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Um, So, it's not something we can avoid. So this morning, we're going to look at a story of hell. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16. Starting in verse 19. Let's stand together as we read the word the Lord's given to us this morning. Luke chapter 16. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. This is Jesus speaking. He says, There was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table... But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. One day, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things, and just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you, so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house, because I have five brothers, to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, they should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together, to open up your word And even as we approach this maybe slightly uncomfortable topic for us, this topic of of hell, will you allow your word to speak this morning? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Um, Now, this is a parable, okay? So so, so let's not read too much into it and try to make it a um, a historical story. Okay, we, we don't know if, if, this is, if Jesus is giving an, an actual account or if this is just him telling, one, uh, telling a story. And, and most of the, um, the, the scholars that I read this week in preparation just said that they believe this is a parable, Jesus telling a story. So we, we can learn some theology here, but we don't want to take this quite too far because it's, not, it's, it's Jesus telling us about the reality of hell. Okay, but let's not, don't, don't try to take it farther than, than the story would have us go. Jesus tells us the story about a, of a rich man who's anonymous, by the way. If you, if you notice that, he never gives us the rich man's name. And a poor man named Lazarus. Now, the name Lazarus simply means God helps. Okay, so, so again, this is probably not the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, but, but just a character in the story, a character in the parable. Okay. Uh, by the way, uh, one interesting thing about this, this parable, 
Lazarus is the only, the, the, Lazarus in this story is the only character in any of Jesus' parables who's given a name. I find that interesting that, that this rich man, whom presumably most everybody would have known in his community, is left anonymous in this story, while Lazarus, the poor man, who maybe many people did not know, other than just, oh, that guy, that poor guy who sits by, by the gate, is the only person who's ever given a name in one of Jesus' parables. Okay? Now, uh, during their time on earth, they live vastly different lives. The rich man is, well, rich. The Lazarus is not rich. But eventually, they both die. Reminding us that, that death, in fact, is the great leveler. Right? As, as the saying goes, nobody gets out of this life alive. Poor man goes to heaven, is embraced by Abraham, who's uh, one of the central figures in the Jewish religion, certainly one of, the, one of the main figures in the Old Testament. The rich man dies and goes to hell where he experiences great suffering. We're told that he looks out across the divide to the place where the poor man is, to heaven, and asks Abraham to send Lazarus to simply touch his tongue with a drop of water. Now, let's, let's address a couple of things before we go on here, okay? First of all, uh, people will often say something. In fact, you, you will hear this often when you start talking religion, Maybe even as a deflection, you'll hear something like, well, I just don't see how a loving God could send someone to hell. Okay? That's, that's common. In fact, if you've never heard that, I'm going to say you're probably the exception. Because a lot of times, that'll be one of the first things that's thrown out. Well, you believe, that, you believe in a place called hell, right? Well, yes, I do. Well, I just don't understand how a loving God could send someone to hell. Okay, so let's, let's talk about that for just a second. Now, I'm not trying to mess with anybody's theological assumptions about salvation, okay? So um, understanding that, that we probably have some folks here who would lean a little more Calvinistic or Reformed. If you have no idea what I just said, don't worry about that, okay? But, but if you do, just, just hear me out on this, okay? I, I think that's a misguided question. How could a loving God send someone to hell? Because the reality, I think, of what we see in, in Scripture and the reality of the world around us is that hell is a place that's reserved for those who reject God. Now, again, I'm not trying to mess with anybody's theological assumptions, but, but even for those who would hold to a Calvinistic theology, I think you would say that, that people reject God. Through our lifestyle, by our beliefs, we, we, people reject God. So, so hell, then, is an eternal um, place for those who've ultimately rejected Christ Jesus. who rejected him as the creator, as the savior, and as the sustainer of the world. So then, in death, people will live for eternity the way they lived on earth. Isn't that the same for believers? We, we live in eternity the way we lived on earth, in submission to Christ. In worship of Almighty God. The Bible also tells us about why God sent Christ to the world. So John 3, 16 and 17, these will most likely be familiar words to you. Right? For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not, pun will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
So here we see something of God's love for mankind and the, the depths that he was willing to go to prove that love. And that's why I love the way the CSB puts this. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. In fact, throughout his ministry, Jesus is proclaiming the truth of the kingdom of God and calling people to repent. So I'll say things like we looked at last week, that, that the kingdom of God is, is like a pearl. Uh, it's like a merchant who's in search of pearls. And, and when he found one that was priceless, he sold everything he had in order to purchase that one pearl. And, and so, so the message of the kingdom of God then is, is realize the depths of the love of God. Realize the price or the, the prize of the kingdom of God that we get to serve. The prize of eternal life with Almighty God. Now, now before we go on, too, I, I want to point something out here that... Um, there's a disparity here in, in the way these two men lived. Lazarus, who was poor, the rich man who was rich. Rich man dies and goes to hell. Now, now some, especially in our world today, would take this and say, see, the rich man died and went to hell. The poor man went to heaven. So woe to you who are rich. Now, first of all, let me say that's completely missing the point. Now, now Jesus did say, so, so let's, let me go here. Jesus said it's, it is, uh, it's difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Remember, he said, in fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and his disciples then said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus' response after that, which people often forget, we just like to cut off like, well, it's easier for a rich man to, or for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter heaven. Stop there problem is that the story doesn't stop there. Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but all things are possible with God. And so, so hear me out. Do, do you know that, that for a poor man to go to heaven is just as impossible as for um, a camel to go through the eye of a needle? But all things are possible with God. Why? Because our sin has separated us from God. Sin is the, the common factor here. Folks, folks who would make that argument would also forget that um, just by virtue of the fact that we live in the United States of America, we are in the top 1% of wealth in the, in the world. So if, if, if you want to start making that argument, well, uh, wealth is evil, then, then I hope you're prepared to sell everything you have and start giving it to the poor because we're ridiculously wealthy. So, so I, just, I don't want us to go too far, and, and I don't want us to miss the, the point of the story here. All right, because the point of the story is that this rich man had not trusted in Christ. Lazarus had trusted in God as, as his Savior. Finds himself in the presence of God. Lazarus, or the rich man, finds himself separated from God. So, so some points that we, we learn here, okay? First of all, hell is eternal. That means always and forever. I, I don't have these on here. You're welcome to jot these down, the, the points. I'll have some uh, verses that pop up here in a minute. But um, hell is eternal. Right? We see that, that they both died. The poor man was carried away to, by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man 
also died and was buried. Being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off. So, so, so we're taught in throughout Scripture that, that hell and heaven are eternal places. They are places of finality, right? We see also that hell is a place of pain. We see, we're told that the, uh, the rich man is in agony and torment, says here in flames. Now, I've, I've often argued, um, I'll, I'll say this, we talk a lot about hell's, the flames of hell. And there's good reason for that because we, we see passages like this where hell is described as being a place of, of flames, as being a place of torment. Um, but I have long argued, and I will continue to argue, that, that the most horrific thing about hell is not whatever physical suffering is there. The, the most horrific thing about hell is the eternal separation from Almighty God because we, we know that, that men and women are created in the image of God, as we're told in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So that means that everything good that we experience here in, in earth, on the, on the earth, we, we experience good in other people because they're made in the image of God. We, we still live in a world that was created good by God, even though it's been affected by the fall. Now imagine a place where you remove all goodness, any trace of the presence of God whatsoever. I believe that's what the Bible describes hell as, a place where the presence of God is completely absent. And, and so I've, I'll, I'll argue that the, the spiritual suffering in hell will be far and away greater than any physical suffering because of the separation from Almighty God. We're also told that hell, we also see that hell is a place of fear. You see this rich man worrying about his family, Worrying about um, be, being in agony, being afraid of, uh, of the terrors that he's uh, experiencing. Um, if you've ever read uh, the, the story of the Divine Comedy by, by Dante, it's fictional. Okay, so again, don't, don't, don't take too much away from that. But um, it's, a, it's a fictional journey of the author through hell and then ultimately into heaven. Okay, so again, don't read like that as theology book, but as... as um, as, as fiction. And in the Inferno section, when, when, when he's in hell, uh, the author describes the sign above the portal of hell that says, Abandon hope, all ye who enter. It's a place that is hopeless. We also see in the story here, it's a place of sadness, as he's, as he's not only in torment for, for his own life, uh, but he's also uh, he's, he, he's crying out in, in agony for uh, for his family members as well. It's a, it's a place of deep sadness. And in 25, look at this. Abraham said, remember during your life. So there's a memory here in hell. And he, he remembers the way that he lived, the way he treated others, the way he rejected God. There's, there's sadness that comes from that. Hell is a place of isolation. You notice they're, they're, we're not given any other characters in, in hell with him place of complete isolation. Um, again, a fiction work, but, but one that's, that, that's really interesting is uh, a little book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. Again, it's about a, a man who uh, dies, finds himself in hell, and eventually takes a bus to heaven. Don't read it as theology, read it as fiction. Uh, but one of the characteristics of those who are in hell in, in The Great Divorce um, is that they get continually irritated with people 
I'm not going to make any statement about that right now. Uh, it's too easy. Um, but but they, the longer they're there, the more isolated they become. Because they, they can't stand to be around other people. So, so the longer someone's in hell, they'll move farther outside the city and build a house. And as neighbors move closer, they move farther outside the city and build a house until their years walk from anyone else because they can't stand to be around anyone else because everyone else is idiots. I'm the only one who's right. Hell's a place of separation. We, we see that as well as the rich man is able to look out and set across this chasm and see what's, what's going on in heaven. Now again, we don't want to read too much theology into this other than to simply say that there's a separation. And we're told that, um, that, there's a, that a great chasm has been fixed in 26. So that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those from there cross over to us. There's a separation that's eternal and that's real. Now, now we're told about some good things in hell. Now, now you, that may sound weird, so don't, don't like walk out of the room yet. Listen, listen, hear me out, okay? Good people are in hell. Well, hang on, Romans 3.10 says there's no good, no not one. Okay, yes, you're right. I agree with that. None righteous. None who seek after God. But, but can we just pause for a moment and, and say and recognize that even those who do not claim to be followers of Christ... We, we see some who live good moral lives from a human standpoint. We, we know people who are not followers of Christ who can be good husbands, good wives, good parents, raise good kids, have good jobs, be productive members of society. And yet, being a good person is not the thing that matters. See, here's, here's where I think sometimes we mess up as believers, is that we'll work alongside good people, and suddenly we assume, well, I know they, they don't believe in Christ. I know that they don't want anything to do with the gospel. I know that they're not really religious, but man, they're good people. I, do, do I really want to share the gospel with them and mess up their, their good life? convinced, I think the Bible tells us that there will be a lot of good people in hell. People who thought that because they never killed anybody, because maybe they gave some money to charity, because they were good neighbors, that if there's a God, they'll be okay. And that's not the, the way the Bible explains it. This one kind of struck me when, when I saw this, but... Um, found this interesting. Good prayers are in hell. Think about that for a second. Do you see the, the prayer that, that this guy prays? Look at 24. Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Now, now here we would say, okay, hang on. Maybe he's praying to the wrong person, right? 
but, but, but listen at the, the cry that he has there. Have mercy on me. He's even begging Abraham to send someone to his family. And so, so in, in this rich man's mind, even still, as, as much as he can comprehend, he's, he's praying for someone to go to his family and warn them, to, to share the good news with them. I thought this one was interesting, too. Good theology is in hell. See, here's what we're told in, in Philippians 2.11. That one day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're told that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So here's the reality for us, right? That, that one day everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, will we do it on this side of eternity or on the other side? On this side of death? Or on the other side, will we repent of sins here while we have the opportunity? We say Jesus is Lord in, in repentance, leading to everlasting life. Or will we say Jesus is Lord on that day of judgment, leading to eternal separation? Good priorities are in hell. See this guy's concern? Like, so, so he asks for Lazarus just to come and touch his, touch his uh, tongue with a, with a drop of water. But notice that he doesn't say, get me out of here. Instead he says, send someone, send, send Lazarus to my father's house. Because I have five brothers. To warn them so that they won't come to this place of torment. Suddenly he's concerned about, he wants to evangelize his brothers. He wants to see them saved. And here's the last. This kind of goes back to one of the first things we talked about. We, we talked about good people um, being in hell, good people who've never repented of sins. The, the last thing is this, good intentions will be found in hell. People with good intentions. Have you known anybody who said, as, as you're you know, trying to get to know them, maybe trying to share the gospel with them, they'll say, yeah, sure, someday. As I, when I was in youth ministry and working with teenagers and especially as those who were getting ready to go to college, a common attitude that, that I got was, um, you know what, the next few years are mine. I'm going to go off, I'm going to live my life, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to have some fun. And then one day, well, one day I'll, I'll get serious about God. I'll get serious about the things of Jesus. One, one day we'll settle down and, and I'll get things right. See, so here's the thing, right? So, so we can reject Christ. Pe people can reject Christ through outright rebellion, just simply turning away. No, I don't want anything to do with that. But have you ever considered that the rejection of the gospel does not have to be active? There's a passive rejection of the gospel. You can refuse Christ through, through apathy, 
through indifference. You'll encounter a lot of people who wouldn't say that they're outright atheistic. In fact, I'd say the majority of people that I've encountered here who would not claim to be followers of Christ here in Alamogordo are not hostile to the gospel. They're just indifferent. How would you describe yourself? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm really not religious. Okay, what does that mean? Help me understand that. Well, I'm not anti-God. I just, you know, I don't really know if there's God. Okay? Do you ever think about spiritual things? No, not really. What do you think about? Man, I think about going to work. I think about taking care of my kids. You ever think about, you know, death and eternity? Nah. Just kind of figure everything will work itself out. Procrastination? Yeah, you know, someday. Yeah, you know. And we get, listen, pastors hear this all the time. Well, you know, life's been really busy, but I, I know we, we need to get back into church. Really? Because you've been saying that for like four years now. Well, man, th- things are just so, you know, one of these days things are going to slow down. Not if you keep adding things to your plate. <laughs> See, here's the thing, I, I, and I think this is where even some people who would claim to be Christians would fall. I think I've shared before, uh, there's, there's an outstanding book out there uh, that was just released earlier this year called The Unsaved Christian by a guy named Dean and Sarah who pastors um, down in, I, I want to say Tallahassee, Florida, pastors in Florida. Um, very Bible Belt uh, part of the country. And he ministers primarily among people who are good people. Southern um, people who, would, who a lot of whom would claim to be followers of Christ because they came to vacation Bible school as kids. They, they grew up in kids' ministries. They walked an aisle. They prayed a prayer. They even got baptized. But there's been no evidence of any fruit of salvation in their life since then. They become what we, what we in ministry kind of joke sometimes as CEO Christians, Christmas and Easter only. Um, and are, are, you, are, you, are you a believer? Yeah, I'm a believer. Cool, are you involved in a church anywhere? No, not really. Why not? Well, you know, we got soccer practice. We got soccer games. And, you know, we bought that nice boat to go to the lake. And, uh, you know, just I work so hard during the week that, you know, Sunday mornings, it's just, it's just too hard to get out of bed. Ran to that a lot with parents and youth ministry. Hey, great to see you this morning. Where are your kids? Oh, we just couldn't get them out of bed this morning. My mom's here. She never gave me that opportunity. <laughs> By the way, even in college, like I think I got called on Sunday mornings a couple of times. Are you going to church today? Yes. Well, someday we're going to get back into church. Someday we're going to get serious about our relationship with the Lord. Someday. And... and for many, someday never comes. Here's the truth that, that I think, again, I don't want to, you know, I'm not trying to wreck anybody's theological system or anything like that, but, but I think in, in the Bible we're, also, we're, we're given this picture, and that is hell was not a place that was intended for us. So, so Matthew 25, 41, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and he says that um, to, to, to those who've, who've been separated on the day of judgment, he says, 
that they'll be sent to that place, to, to, to hell, that was prepared for the devil and his angels. That hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. In John 14, we're told that Jesus has prepared a place for us. I think this, this should be on the screen here. John 14, 1 through 7. Don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way to where I'm going. I love this, right? Thomas just says out loud what everybody else is thinking. Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We have, we have Jesus here saying that he has prepared a place for us. See, I think in, in Genesis we see something about God's original design for people. And we'll look at that this, this fall. We're going to walk through Genesis. We're going to take a look at some of the major characters in, in Genesis. In the beginning, we see God creating Adam and Eve um, who, who live in perfect relationship with one another and perfect fellowship with God. And I think in that we see God's design about how the world was supposed to operate. And then we rebelled. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people look at Adam and even like, man, how, why did they have to mess everything up? You know, what, what, what would it have been like if they didn't? Don't worry, if they didn't, you would have. Okay? But we see that that the brokenness that exists in our world was not the way God designed things to work. And in Christ, we're able to experience something of what it means to be restored to God imperfectly in this life, awaiting that final day where everything is set right, when either this life is over or Christ comes back. That's so why in my favorite gospel presentation, we say that uh, the gospel and trusting in Christ Jesus helps us to recover and pursue God's original design for us. And then we get to be about the work of being agents of reconciliation, helping others recover, repent of sin, and recover and pursue God's design for their life as well. So, Listen, maybe you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, we're, we're talking a lot about what it means to share the gospel, um, what, it, what it means to, to, to be people who are actively sharing with, with our neighbors and coworkers and friends and family members. And, um, but maybe you're here today and you'd say you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Listen, don't put it off. As, as we saw, there are good intentions in hell. And as the, as the saying goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You can turn from sin today. You can trust in Christ simply by, by praying something like, like this. It's no magic words. It's not a magic formula. It's just some, some words to help you frame um, 
how to ask God to forgive your sins, simply saying, my life is broken. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need you. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. So forgive me. I turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I know that Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. Maybe you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus before. You want to know a little bit more about what that looks like. In just a moment, Chuck will be down here on your left. I'll be down here on your right. We'd love to visit with you and and pray with you and show you what it means to trust in Jesus. Maybe maybe you're here this morning. You need to, as as we've gone throughout the, the Hoosier One series, maybe God's laid someone on your heart that you know needs to hear this, someone who would maybe claim to be a follower of Christ, but there's really no fruit in their lives. Maybe someone you know who's a good person, but who does not have a relationship with Christ, who has not turned away from their sin and trusted in Jesus. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray for them, that you would have the opportunity, that you'd have the boldness to proclaim the love of Jesus the reality of sin, maybe even the reality of hell, the eternal separation that that awaits for those who who don't turn to Christ. However the Lord's moving, you respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you even for this story of of hell, the, the truths that it teaches us about, about the great love that you have for us and yet about the reality of eternal separation from you. So first of all, I would pray for the, if there's anybody in the room who's not yet turned from sin and trusted in Christ Jesus, that today's the day. Today's the day they, they do that. They, they say, I don't want to live my own way anymore. Be my Savior and help me to recover and pursue God's original design for my life. I pray for all of us that we would have someone in mind who is far from you. That we might be agents of the kingdom of God seeking to reconcile men, women, children, families to you through the gospel. Will you show us how to do that this week? Give us opportunities to share. And give us boldness to declare when the opportunities arise. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you this week.